The saying goes that the clothes make the man, right? There's a great little short story that I'm going to tell you this morning. I was going to read it. It's very brief. Um, that illustrates that point, or at least gets us thinking about in what way that's true, that the clothes make the man. So imagine, if you will, a band of robbers, three guys. They're not a big outfit, but there's the boss. He's the brains of the operation. And then there's the muscle, right? There's two guys. One of them is the big, muscly guy. He's in charge of intimidating everyone. His name in this story is Tango. It's a French story. I don't know why his name is Tango. That's just the way the author made it, okay? And then the other guy in the story is called the eel, and apparently he's the shifty one. So you've got the boss, the brains, the eel, the shifty one, and then the muscle, Tango. And they come up with this plan that they're going to rob not a small place, but they're going to rob, they're going to go into a wealthy part of town, and they're going to rob the house of one of the wealthy citizens of the town. But they need cover. This isn't a job for muscle, this is a job for stealth. So they tell Tango, the big muscly guy, listen, Tango, we don't need your skills so much this time. What we need you to do is dress up like a police officer. We got the uniform and everything, we need you to put the uniform on and we just want you to walk up and down the street while we're in the house and that way when we're in the house, if anyone gets suspicious, they'll look out and they'll see you and they'll feel safe and we can get away with it. Well, Tango goes along with it because it's not his job to think up the plan. It's just his job to execute it. So he puts on the uniform, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he's never worn, of course, a police uniform in his life. In fact, that's probably the best clothes he's ever worn. And he starts to look at himself and think, gosh, I kind of look good in this uniform. But we've got a plan to carry out. So he goes out on the street and he's walking up and down this road in a wealthy part of town. And there's another police officer who's also out on patrol. And Tango, in his past, was always nervous around the police officers with good reason. After all, he's a burglar. He's a thief. So he starts to get nervous. But then something strange happens. This other officer looks at this burglar and he salutes him. And Tango remembers, oh yeah, I'm wearing the uniform. He thinks I'm one of him. And he starts to say, you know what? That feels kind of good to be saluted by the authorities. It's much better than having to run and hide when I see the authorities. And so he puffs out his chest a little bit and he salutes back. He keeps walking up and down the street. He knows that the boss and the eel are inside the house stealing all the goods. And he sees a little old lady. And the little old lady calls out to him, sir, sir. I need some help. And of course, again, this is the first time that our, uh, our character, Tango, has ever experienced someone calling him sir. This is the first time that a little old lady has ever called out to this burglar and said, could you please help me? And he kind of feels good again. It was nice to be saluted. It was nice to be called sir. It was nice, he feels like, to be asked for help. And so he goes and helps the woman out. And then there's a vagabond who comes in, and the drunk who comes up out of the gutter sees the policeman, and he spits at him, and he says, what are you doing here, you filthy cop? Something that Tango himself would have said in his prior life. But all of a sudden, he feels affronted by this. He feels personally attacked. And so, in in the heat of the moment, he handcuffs the guy and starts taking him in to the police station. 
Well, at the same time, the boss and the eel come out of the house, and they see Tango there. They've got all kinds of jewelry in their pockets, and they think, oh, great, the plan is going well, but what's Tango doing? Why is he carrying around this poor guy? And they yell at him, Tango, what are you doing? Come on, stop screwing around. Let's go. We've got the goods. Let's get out of here. And Tango looks at the boss, and he looks at the eel, and he looks down at himself, and he's starting to process things, and he's starting to think, you know, I could go with those guys. I could continue in a life of theft and burglary, but it felt really good to be saluted. It felt really good to be asked for help, and it actually kind of felt good to arrest somebody who was a vagabond. And so you know what Tango does in the story? Instead of running after his friends, instead of going with the burglars, he blows the whistle and he says, this is how the story ends, Halt! Thieves! (laughs) The clothes made the man, right? Now it's a story, and so it's probably very unlikely that that would ever happen, but there's a kernel of truth in there, isn't there? The way that you dress impacts how others treat you. And the way that others treat you impacts the way you feel about yourself. If you go around in sweatpants all day, people talk to you a certain way. If you go around in a suit all day, they might, they just might, talk to you a little different. And you might start to think about yourself in a different way. The clothes really do change how you think about yourself and how others think about you. But is it possible that your clothing could have anything to do with God? Sure, we look on the outward appearances, but didn't the Lord himself tell Samuel the prophet long ago? Didn't God himself say the Lord looks not as man looks, but the Lord looks on the heart? That's true, isn't it? God is not impressed by external things. In fact, Jesus blasted the Pharisees who loved to appear in their long robes, but did not give an ounce of care about the condition of their hearts. We sometimes slip into this too, don't we? Well, all that matters is the internal things. God looks on the heart, so all that matters is the heart. Outward stuff doesn't possibly make a difference. And then we come across Jesus' parable for today, and we hear that maybe garments do matter. After all, what did the king say to that man who came into the feast without the wedding garment? Friend, how'd you get in here? And by the way, when he says friend, that's not a term of endearment, right? He's about to cast the man out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Apparently, clothes do matter. Apparently, the clothes do matter, not simply in how we think about ourselves or how others think about us, but how God sees us. But we should be very clear. After all, Jesus is speaking in a parable. And there's no brand of clothing that you can wear, right? There is not Nike, there's not Reebok, there's not Aeropostale, there's nothing that you can put on, an outward shirt that you can wear that will ensure your salvation. If there was, well, we would sell it, right? We would sell it for a lot of money. But the Lord does look on the heart. So what is going on here with these garments? Well, remember that Jesus often spoke in parables about the kingdom of God, and he often compared it to a feast, whether it was to a wedding feast or to a great banquet. In fact, this parable that we heard this morning, we also heard back at the beginning of our Trinity season, or we heard one that was very much like it. 
Remember how those men made up excuses? Oh, I have to go out to my field. Oh, I have to go inspect my oxen. Oh, I just got married, so I can't be bothered to come to a banquet. Jesus repeats all of that in this other parable, but we want to focus on the ones who came. For there are many dangers in the kingdom of heaven. There are many warnings that Jesus gives us in this parable. First, about making excuses, right? And we talked about that back at the beginning of our Trinity season. But I want you to focus today on this other matter, this other danger, this other warning about coming to the feast, the wedding feast, without the proper clothing. Now, you know, right, in the parables, Jesus, the things that he talks about are um, figures of speech, right? The king is God the father, the groom is God the son, Jesus himself, and the servants who are sent out are the prophets and the apostles and the soon-to-be disciples of Jesus. In fact, if we were to read the previous parable, we would come up with this even better. For in the previous parable, the father sent a son to a vineyard. And when the son came to that vineyard, you remember that the vineyard owners killed the son. Well, now, in the very next parable, Jesus is talking about the same son again, who is somehow raised up, and a feast is being thrown in his honor. Surely this son, this groom, is the son of God. But then there's two kinds of people who are invited. There are those who despise the king, who have better things to do than go to a wedding feast, who think that their lives are surely more important than the king's call. And then there are those who come but secretly despise the king, or maybe we should say subtly. See, in the parables of Jesus, there are great promises, aren't there? And we do well to hold on to those promises. Look at how the king has prepared everything. Go out and tell them, look, my fattened calf is slaughtered. All is prepared. Everything is taken care of. Come. This is a wonderful way to think of God's kingdom, of the gospel. Christ Jesus has done everything. He has taken care of all of our salvation. And now the call goes out. The invitation comes to you to come. But in the parables, there are also many warnings for us. And we must pay attention to the warnings as well. And it's especially this one where one of the guys who gets into the feast, who comes at the call of the master, somehow gets in without the proper clothing. Now that might sound like a minor detail to us. We live in a very casual culture, don't we? We live in a culture where if you wear a shirt with buttons, even if it's a polo shirt, that counts as dressing up, right, if you're a man. We live in a very casual world. Well, Jesus didn't live in a casual world, not that it was overly formal or anything, but there were expectations. And the expectation was that if you were invited to the feast and the king threw a feast, right, this was not just a poor man having a party. This was the king. It was a royal wedding. You should wear the right clothes. In fact, in fact, the kings were so insistent on this that they provided the clothing, Maybe some of you have had this experience before. It's kind of like this. When you get asked to be part of the wedding party, whether you're a, a bridesmaid or one of the, um, what's the groom's guys, his friends, the, the groomsmen, right? I remember in college, I got upset with my friend because he wanted me to be in his party, but he wouldn't pay for my tuxedo, <laughs> right? He made me pay for the tux. Well, when was I ever going to wear a tux again? I got upset with him because he expected me to pay my fair share to be part of his wedding. Of course, I went along with it. 
But usually that's not the way it works, right? Usually if you're asked to be a groomsman, everything is provided for you. If you're asked to be a bridesmaid, I think they should provide it for you. That's how the king, that's how God is. Yes, he says you should wear the right clothes, but look, I'll provide them for you. And so when the man comes into the feast and says, nah, I'd rather not wear that. It's not just a fashion faux pas, right? He's not just not wearing the right clothes, and so the picture isn't going to turn out right. It's as if he's saying to the king, I'll come, but I don't really want to be part of this. I'll come and I'll sit there, but I don't really care. I'll come and I'll sit there, but don't ask me to do anything. I'll come and I'll watch. I'll be a spectator, but don't expect me to participate. That's what the man says to the king. And Jesus says, there's no place for that kind of thinking. There is no place in the kingdom of heaven for spectators. You either put on the clothes or you get off the team. I remember as a, a, a high schooler, uniform day was the best day on the baseball team. In my senior year, we actually got new uniforms, right? We didn't just get the normal baseball uniform, but we got the ones like the pros wear, which are cutoffs. And so you got not only the undershirt, it was brown, our colors were brown and gold, but then we got away uniforms that were cut off here at the shoulders, and we also got the home uniforms that were white. That was the best day, brand new uniforms. And every time we had a game, you better believe, we said as a team, we're all wearing our uniforms to school because we wanted everybody to see us in our uniforms. We wanted everybody to know, hey, we're part of the team. Now imagine... Imagine if the star shortstop said, yeah, not me. You guys can wear your uniforms, but what's the point, right? We all know who's on the same team. You don't really need uniforms to play baseball. You all know if I'm out there at the shortstop position that I'm going to do my job. And so you guys can wear your uniform. That's fine for you, but I don't really like brown and gold. I'm going to wear, I don't know, maize and blue or something. What would the coach do to that player? He'd say, look, buddy, you might be a great shortstop. You might have all the skills, but we are a team. And so you either put the uniform on or you sit on the bench. Isn't that what Jesus is telling us in this parable? Isn't there a great warning for us to not be content as spectators, to not come and answer the call of the king and think, yeah, that's good. Everybody else can participate, but I'm going to keep my distance. Put on the clothing of salvation and enter the joy of the feast. After all, Christ has come. Christ has come to call us and to clothe us. Christ has come to call us and to clothe us. He indicated this long ago when Adam and Eve first fell into sin. Remember how they made their own clothing? Remember how Adam and Eve were ashamed at what they had done? They were embarrassed. They were terrified to appear before the Lord God when they heard him walking in the garden. So they sewed themselves clothing out of fig leaves. They thought, hey, we can cover ourselves up. And it was only after God had given the promise of salvation that he said, no, 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 you don't have to clothe yourselves. I'll clothe you. And he made them clothing out of animal skins. The life of the animal covered up Adam and Eve. It hid their shame. It hid their unrighteousness. In fact, that word, covering, is another way that we could think of Jesus' work of atonement. The word atonement means to provide a covering. 
So when Jesus comes and he atones for our sins, he provides a covering for us. His blood is shed in your place to cover over your sins. His life is given in place of your life, no longer an animal skin given for your life, but the the life of the Son of God, his blood shed for you. He covers over his people. He atones for them. This is what God was indicating long ago when he provided the clothing for his priests in the temple. I don't know if you have ever read these parts of the Bible, but in Exodus, God gives very specific instructions for how the priests are to be clothed. And some people skip over that and say, well, what does this have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything for just in the same way. In fact, in a better way than how God clothed his priests of old, so now he clothes you. He covers you in the holy garments of his salvation. He covers you in the robe of Christ's own righteousness so that you may not go into a temple, but you may come into God's holy presence here and not be ashamed. Christ Jesus has come to call and to clothe us. So put on the uniform. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul speaks of holy baptism. He says in Galatians, Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ? And didn't Jesus say to his apostles, Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high? Yes, Christ Jesus has come, not just to call us and say, hey, come and wear whatever you want. Come and wear, he doesn't even say, come and wear your best clothing. He says, I will provide everything. I will take care of the sacrifice. I will provide the atonement and I will cover you with my very own self. The gospel's clothing is better than any clothing we could ever provide. In fact, it is better than any clothing you could buy in a store, for it is the living clothing of Christ himself and of his Holy Spirit that you are clothed with. You have living garments that cover you. Yes, they're invisible, and so you can't walk around and say, hey, how do you like my Jesus suit? Yeah, we put them on our acolytes, and the pastor wears the robes to, to show us something of what is invisibly present on every single one of us. But each of you are covered with the living robes of Christ's own righteousness. You are covered in his holiness, And so you should be proud to wear the uniform. You should be glad, even more glad than a high school senior wearing his baseball uniform to school to walk around as one of Christ's dear Christians. But you should understand, too, what that means. See, usually when you get clothing, you have to trim the clothes to fit you, right? When you are in a wedding party, you have to go to the tailor and they have to measure you in all kinds of places and they fit the clothes to fit you. But in the gospel, in the kingdom of God, it works the other way around. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, why don't I fit myself to you? He puts it the other way. He says, let me change you. Let me make you grow up into these garments. It's It's much more like a little child putting on his father or his mother's clothing. Maybe some of you can remember those days, or you can have seen kids do this. They like to wear their parents' shoes, and they chomp around in those shoes, and the shoes don't even come close to fitting. But guess what? Eventually, the kid grows up. Eventually, the shoes do fit. And this is how it is being a disciple of Christ Jesus. Some of the commandments of Christ, some of his teachings seem to be like way too big for us. 
I have to forgive those who sin against me seven times, 70 times? How could I possibly ever do that? I have to pray for my enemies? How could I ever do that? We're like little kids with garments that are way too big for us. But as you do it, as you grow up into these things, suddenly the clothes fit. And the clothes change you. And so what used to be strange, what used to be foreign, what used to seem like it was a pain becomes your great joy. Yes, you wear living garments, and you also wear holy ones. Now, we often have trouble with this, too, because we live in such a casual and common world. The opposite of holy is not, well, it is unholy, but it's common. We get used to common things, and then we come into church, and all of a sudden, everything is shot through with holiness. The way that we speak, the way that we move, everything is covered in holiness. It can feel kind of foreign, can't it? It can feel like you're a stranger in a strange land. But Christ has clothed you for this, and worship prepares you for this. In fact, I don't think it's too much to say that in worship, the Holy Spirit is tailoring us to fit into the clothing of salvation. He is tailoring our minds to think with the mind of Christ. He is tailoring our speech to speak with the words of Christ. He is tailoring the way that we behave and think and move so that we are prepared for holy living. Listen to how St. Paul speaks of this being clothed. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, he puts it this way, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on, hear that language? Put on, clothe yourselves in the new man, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. Righteousness and holiness. Here is what Christ clothes you with. In worship, you are being fit, you are being tailored to wear these clothes out into the world. In another place, Paul says it this way, put on then. Clothe yourselves as God's holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against you, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these things, put on, hear the language, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Jesus clothes us not with clothing that we fit to ourselves, but he clothes us with himself, and that changes us, or it should. Just like the clothing changed the way in the story that Tango thought of himself, the clothing of Christ and his Holy Spirit changes you. And that means you're going to feel kind of funny. That means you're going to feel kind of foreign. To be compassionate in our world is not a common thing, is it? To be forgiving in our world is not a common thing, is it? To be kind in our world is not a common thing, is it? To be holy in our world is something that is scorned and ridiculed. But what is that to you? Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed in him? And that clothing, that clothing is far better than any clothing you could find at the mall. So wear it proudly. Wear it well. Don't suppose that it's the kind of thing that you can wear for a little while and then retire from. For the clothing of Christ is meant to be worn your whole life through. Let me, give you, let me end this morning by giving you some style tips, if you will. 
Let me tell you what to avoid. Avoid taking off the clothes, right? Avoid this kind of mentality that, okay, when I go to church for an hour, I'll wear the clothing of Christ. I'll say the right stuff. I'll do the right stuff. But when I leave the church, well, I'll leave the clothing behind. Christ doesn't want you to be hour-long disciples. He wants you to be lifelong disciples. Secondly, wear it proudly. Embrace what it means to be on the team. Right? Embrace what it means to wear the uniform. You are part of this congregation. The kingdom of God begins here and now. And so if you want to be there in the end, on the last day, if you want to be part of that great wedding feast, then embrace what it means to be on the team now. Where there is a place to serve, serve. Where God has given you abilities, use them. Where God has given you time, use it for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ because the wedding feast and participation in the wedding feast is far better, is far better than simply playing shortstop on the baseball team. Finally, embrace the holy uniform. Embrace it in worship. Put it on and wear it gladly. And as the apostle told us in Ephesians 5, sing. Isn't it interesting that on this day when Jesus talks about wearing the right clothes, the Apostle Paul also tells us to sing. Might seem like they have nothing in common, but I think there's actually something quite profound there. For just as the clothing might feel kind of strange to be clothed in the holiness of Christ, so singing can be kind of strange, can't it? And especially these hymns and these liturgies that we sing can feel pretty foreign to us, like little kids wearing mom and dad's shoes. But the more that you do it, the more that you forget about how you sound and how you look and how you feel, the more you embrace the song and just lose yourself in the singing of it, guess what? You start to learn them. You start to sing them. You start to look good in the clothes. You start to sound good as a congregation. I've been here seven years, right? And in seven years, I can tell you, you sound a lot better than you did seven years ago. I don't mean that as an insult. And it's not just because we put in hardwood floors. You know what it is? It's because the Holy Spirit works in your hearts and in your lives to sing a new song with joy. And as you have grown in your singing, keep it up. As you have grown in the wearing of Christ's holy garments, keep it up. For the wedding feast is worth it. The uniform is glorious and one day you will appear and you will see it with your own eyes. You will see that righteousness of Christ clothing you perfectly. You will see that holiness of Christ fitting you perfectly. That is a day that you're going to want to see because the alternative, well, it ain't pretty. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.